Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Carrie Corgan, and this is The Opus, an exploration of legendary records and their ongoing legacy. In our latest season, I'm joined by Lizzie Hale, Warren Zanes, Daphne A. Brooks, and many more to revisit Jeff Buckley's Grace. We discuss Buckley's femininity in an era of hypermasculine alt-rock, how the record's mythology was shaped by his tragic death, and the delicate work of keeping his legacy alive. Find us at Consequence of Sound or wherever you listen to podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. If you're not already a subscriber, take that moment, hit that subscribe button right now. Keep up with the series that releases interviews multiple times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, at least. You can do that at all the regular spots like uh, YouTube and Spotify and iTunes and Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and all the others. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Michael Glabicki. You know him as the lead singer of Rusted Roots. These days, he uh, he's touring both as a duo and in his new group, the Uprooted Band. And Michael's going to tell us all about uh, what's going on with that. In fact, he's working on an album with Uprooted that he says we're going to hear some music very, very soon. We'll get the details on what to expect from this band. Not only the music that they're writing and recording, but also how he's re-envisioning 
some of the rusted root classics. And with those classics in mind, we will be heading back to 1994 to talk about their multi-platinum selling record, When I Woke. You know this for this song, Send Me On My Way, Martyr, Ecstasy, Beautiful People. It's a Stone Cold classic of the 90s. And we'll hear about how some of those tracks had actually been on their, their very first record, which he sort of calls the demo, the Cruel Sun album, How what it was about these songs that made them raise their hand to, to, to get re-recorded for what became their next national debut. Michael will tell us about what it was like to be in, a, in an organic type of band at the height of grunge, having Send Me On My Way as a defining song, and a lot of the big subjects that he was singing about at the time. A lot of this came after a, a trip to, to Nicaragua, where he found himself as a political activist, and how those same types of subjects influences his writing today. We'll also hear about opening up for the Grateful Dead, the Allman Brothers, Plant and Page, once playing a show at a Horde Festival stop with uh, only Cheryl Crow, her dog, and her manager as the audience. And then we'll also take a moment to jump to 2009. Uh, a Rusted Root record called Stereo Rodeo was recorded that year, and we'll hear what that experience was like as well. It's Kyle Meredith with Michael Glabicki of Rusted Root. Oh, hi. Well, I know we're going to be talking about, you know, some anniversary stuff here, but uh, may- maybe we start with the present because you're out on tour right now and uh, and you kind of play a dual life, right? One as a duo and one with, uh, with your latest group, the Uprooted Band. And uh, we're recording an album that'll kind of kind of mesh both of them together uh in different forms so that's kind of neat too so so what is the story i mean of course the last rusted root record came out i think in 2012 which we were big fans of i do think we played monkey pants around here quite a lot and still do from time to time but but since then that that's kind of been faded away when did the whole new thing start and, and what's the concept because as i read there is a bit of an idea that you're um that you're going for a new vision yeah uh, what we're doing is kind of getting out of the old way of playing some of the rusted root material we, that we play live. We're kind of just re-envisioning it. And in that process, we're learning things about ourselves that are surprising and, and exciting, and uh, they just kind of pop out of nowhere. So in my mind, as we keep playing these shows, which is about you know three-quarters old rusted root material re-envisioned and then uh, new material that we're writing for the record, um, I just keep like this catalog in my mind of these different things that pop up and during the night and make us smile and make us laugh. And then uh, I use that to kind of see what's available, you know, what jewels do we have in the basket to pull out and make an album out of. Now, when you talk about re-envisioning, you know, some of those older songs and everything, I know for any musician after a long time, especially when we're talking, you know, over 25 years here for some of these songs, you know, that there is a strong appeal to that. Like it's maybe out of boredom, maybe out of curiosity. But again, I feel like when you talk about it, you're talking about it more than just trying to keep yourself interested. It's It sounds like you're talking about trying to find something new in these songs what what is the appeal there to i mean first and foremost i mean it's to evolve as a person and uh that you know goes beyond musicianship it's to break down fears and find new places to get comfortable in and find new things out about yourself and that's sort of you know the always the the ongoing process i mean i remember being on tour with carlos santana and he 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 said that to me one day it was like it's about evolution it's not about sort of revolution it's about not about success it's about progress and being on tour with him you know exactly what he means you know it's it's 
that's first and foremost in that in his mind and and I it allowed me to kind of trust that process too whether it takes 10 years or it takes 20 years or it takes one year it doesn't matter what what matters is that you're uh, continually evolving and breaking down fears and and finding new spaces so that's that's sort of where I'm at and with Russ Root it wasn't happening for me so I was trying to break out into these different areas and people were just looking at me like what the hell are you trying to do <laughs> you know <laughs> we're uh we're, we're totally comfortable we're okay you know and I was just like all right let's try you know it was just too much work and never went anywhere so so that's what I'm doing now and and with these musicians it's it's insane, man. It's just like blowing my mind. Every night is a revelation. And I'm having a blast doing it, you know, because we, we were literally laughing hysterically sometimes in, in the middle of our shows. <laughs> you know, just like, wow, listen to that. You know, listen, you know, we're, we're fans as much as the fans are because we're, we're hearing it for the first time. Is there an easy way to explain the sound that you're going for with the Uprooted Band, uh, how it's different from the past? Obviously, I don't have the luxury of, of hearing the album yet. So that's, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for a cheat yeah. code right now. Yeah, I mean, we're still in the process of the album, too. So, you know, it's it's more, I would say it's more groove-based. Sometimes we lock in these grooves that are just strange and weird, and, and but we're, like, locked into it. Like, you can't get out of it. And I think that's different from Rusted Root. Uh, Rusted Root was more organic, sort of everybody very excited, excitedly playing the same, some of the same patterns over top of one another. And this is this is more broken up into, like, a more of an African drumming kind of, mindset where everybody has a role to play in the in this group groove and we lock into it you know the vocals are, are the background vocals are totally different too we're really kind of there's more vignettes in it like like i feel like i'm watching uh, a play or something and there's a scene that keeps popping up with these singers that kind of happen throughout the song and it's it's a stronger pull into uh different emotional spaces within the song the drumming is is just uh bigger in the sense that there is there is more space in it for the low end to kind of pump out of the song and, and uh, between the percussionist and the drummer, there's, there's just, um, I don't know, it's, it's just a little bit more uh, well thought out, even though it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, I feel like that kind of ties in a, a little bit because I, I do want to talk about the big anniversaries. You know, when I woke 25 years old and, and, and we'll touch on a little bit of the tenure of, of, of Stereo Rodeo, if you don't mind, too. But I mean, you're talking about reinventing these songs. In fact, with that record, When I Woke, the songs were already finding ways to be reinvented because I, I don't know if you mind telling the story, but some of these songs, they started with the Cruel Sun album. Were the changes to When I Woke did that come from just playing them live like that? Was that studio fun? How did those songs stand out and get selected to say, let's do these again? Um, I think we were, uh, for When I Woke, we were just trying to make the best record that we could possibly make. I mean, we, we felt like our first album, Cruel Sun, was more of a demo. Even though we sold 30,000 of them out of our truck um, on the road ourselves, we st- sort of just felt like when we did Cruel Sun, it was more to get something for our live, you know, our fans that come out and see us live to listen to so that they could take it home with them. And it wasn't the album that we wanted to put out. So when we did, when I woke, we just kind of went through the whole repertoire and, and just kind of each brought our own list of songs that we thought would work well. And that's, those are the ones that we chose. But I felt like, I also felt like we weren't prepared as a studio band yet. I mean, even though the album was hugely successful and, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for its success and all that, but I, I just felt like as a, creative piece i wasn't happy with it i felt like there was a lot of loose ends left hanging open that's an interesting thing to have when you have a record that big 
to have that sort of relationship right, right there with it. Did those songs, did, did the big singles, did Send Me On My Way and, and, and Martyr, um, did they stand out on Cruel Sum? Like, were, did you notice people connecting with them more during the, the, the earlier days, the Cruel Sun days, that they might be the things to launch you? No, I think it was. I think this thing was more of a continuation from those from the earlier days. Um, I think people gravitated towards that. Those on when I woke, I, I wish that they would have gotten more radio play. Uh, there was a real fear with the radio, co- uh, with the record company, that people would hear "Martyr" or the the song "Ecstasy" and change the channel, thinking it was a Latin station. <laughs> and you know, and then that all changed within like five years. You know, everybody was okay playing playing. Latin music on the radio. So, you know, Carlos Santana having his own success there five years later. You know, just yeah, uh, coincidentally, I mean, as we named there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm oh, sorry, go on. But I, I did feel like we could have put a little bit more of a rock element into uh, those songs, and I think they, they probably would have, would have benefited more so from that. I mean, in hindsight, 94 does seem like it did open the door for acoustic instruments, and, of course, that door doesn't just go wide open. It does take some people to come. Maybe you're already kind of talking about that, but to be that sort of band when what? At the height of grunge? Did it feel like you had to compete with that sound to get people's attention? No, no, man. It it was, I think, the strength of my vision and my ability is to, like, really not think about anything at all. That really um, is the only way it works for me. So I didn't. I never felt like I had to compete with anything other than just really being honest with myself and 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 being truthful and saying, you know, is this song really me or is it? Am I trying to be something? So "Send Me on My Way" does happen. It takes off. It becomes a a monster song. Were you okay with that being a defining song? Sure. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's kind of undeniable. You know, <laughs> uh, you have you know hard rockers, heavy metal guys come up and say they love that song. You have all these little kids now that are coming up and watching Ice Age and Matilda, and, and they love that song. It's pretty universal. I mean, it, you know, I was sitting in a bar yesterday watching a football game on our drive, and this uh, this sort of like hardcore metal guy was was trying to figure out who we were. <laughs> when he figured it out, <laughs> he he, uh, he was like, "Oh, that song's in memory. I love that song." You know, and it was just like, "Yeah, okay, I I, I get it." You know, it's 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 undeniable for whatever reason i I had a lot of um fun going back to and reading the reviews that were coming out at the time and it was interesting because a lot of people would mention the challenge sometimes of understanding the lyrics and of course send me on my way was there although your style had gone back even i was listening back like artificial winter had a little bit of that in there and it was of course not the only time but i did wonder like how important was it to you to convey a message because in plenty of these songs, you were talking about some very big, important topics, or so it seems to be anyway. Yeah. I mean, I came out of uh, high school, and at a time, we, we were, like, extremely politically active in, in high school. We started this group. It was uh, high school students in Pittsburgh, and we networked, like, 26 different schools, high schools. And I used to skip school and used to infiltrate other high schools and go in there and sit to sit the lunch of these other high schools and, and hand out flyers, like, pretending like I went there. Like, I would dress up if it was a Catholic school, you know, wear the tie and everything. And, and so, like, yeah, we were we were extremely politically active and coming out of, you know, learning, learning a lot about civil rights, uh, learning a lot about 
disarmament, nuclear disarmament, a lot of the Central American issues that were going on at the time. I ended up going to Nicaragua as soon as I got out of high school during the Contra War. So I was down south of the fighting that was going on. I was meeting with students there and I was, you know, pretty much trying to change the world back then, you know. And so when I came back from Nicaragua and thought I was going to change the world and then found out I couldn't do it. I got pretty depressed. <laughs> and so then music became my, this, this outlet for it, you know, and I really, you know, thought I was going to change the world through, through music, which I, I may have done a little of, but not like I thought I was going to. <laughs> At that age, you know, you think so it's going to happen. You know, this is, this is definitely going to happen. Even taking a specific topic like environmentalism, which, you know, I, I know that was a big part of it too. What we were all were talking about 25 years ago that were still having to talk about and it feels like it's getting worse i mean that's that's sort of a kick in the groin right there to me personally and 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 again i don't know if you perceive that the same way because because that was a big time that was a hot topic uh no pun intended on on the hot parts of 94 yeah no uh i I mean i was into talking about Ecotage and you know getting out there and putting you know the spikes in the trees or cutting the tearing apart the the tractors that were you know defor for the deforestation and all that that was pretty radical back then you know and I felt kind of weird afterwards because I got a lot of flack for it and but I, you know looking back on it I think you know well shit I was pretty pretty right on I think we all should have been out you know doing something radical back then we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now do you do you find that you're still um inspired to sing about similar topics and, and do you approach it the same way yeah but it, not in the, not in the same way i think uh when i when i write it it's kind of like I, I wait to um to understand it and uh i try to get it from a, a bigger than myself than my mind kind of space which can feel sp- like a spiritual thing or it can feel like um like a muse thing or uh and then I wait for, you know, that's where the, that's where the exciting messages come from. And that's where a lot of where I woke came from. And all those songs back then was some space beyond me or some space that would, some entity that would enter the room with me to write those songs. It would feel like sometimes, uh, just that kind of feeling or vibe to it. Um, I'm not quite sure how it all worked, but, uh, that's what I try to try to really get to. And, um, sometimes it's just more of getting into the musical space and opening up in ways that I'm not used to. And then that the lyrical messages kind of come through that. But at the same time, my, my life experience and working in politics were, were a huge part of it back then. And I'm not doing that now. I'm kind of like freaked Freak, so freaked out, I don't know what to do. So that's sort of maybe uh, what I'm trying to figure out as far as some of those writing some of those songs and messages now. I don't think any of us know what to do at this point. <laughs> Keep trying to be yeah. a good person, you know, and, 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 and that type of stuff. Small changes, as they yeah. say. I'll hit on a little bit of the live things because, uh, uh, you know, so, so so the environment politics, that's one side of it, you know, and that's the heavier side, maybe the lighter side. This did put you, uh, you know, in some pretty interesting uh, situations, uh, you know, show-wise, opening for the Grateful Dead, Allman Brothers, Plant and Page. I would think the audiences would be more receptive to an opening act with these type of bands than your normal big rock stadium act. Yeah, people, I mean, people still... Every day people come up and say that they saw us with Robert Plant and Jimmy Page back in, you know, 96 or whatever it was. And and from uh, a lot of strange, strange places, too. Like, I think it was in Arkansas somewhere. And it was, I remember the gig because I went running. I was jogging and I ended up going into what was a, um, a gang area. 
and people came running out of their houses to stop me and like turn me back because <laughs> 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 I knew I was going to be dead if I went like another two blocks. Oh wow! So that's how I remembered the gig. I, you know, someone just said yesterday, you know, oh, I saw you uh, at that gig in Arkansas at the Agricultural Center, and I was like, oh my god! And I just remember this whole story. You know. <laughs> was it true that uh, you all once played a, a stage at the Horde Festival to basically what I read as Cheryl Crow and her dog? Yeah, and her manager. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, that was pretty funny. Yeah, we were doing we were doing good, kind of spiraling out of Pittsburgh. We got up into upstate New York and West Virginia, Virginia a little bit, and Ohio. Uh, but when we got out a little bit further from that circle, we didn't really we didn't have many people that knew us. So we were just a band on the horde horde fest that went on first, and I think doors had just opened, and I think nobody was there yet in the parking lot. So we just played anyhow. <laughs> It was funny, but then you know we had we had crowds in Colorado that that were building at that same time. So uh, I think it was like a month after that that show with with uh, at Horde with Cheryl Crow and that uh, some of them away started to take off. So uh, then everybody started coming out and seeing us. <laughs> It's funny when you when you hear about those those type of early day shows, just the drasticness of of the crowds to play from no one to everyone and then back and forth for a little while i mean what a what i don't know what that has to do with your emotions i guess yeah i mean i don't know i, I kind of just remember being so uh, affected by everything back then it was probably a wreck <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> but then you feel really good the one day that it works right you know it can be an hour later and you find out you have three tickets sold and everything's wrong everything <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll jump up really quickly to uh, to 2009, just because uh, Stereo Rodeo another was another great record. Uh, it did turn 10 years old, and I didn't want to overlook that. And, and sort of just, it, it was a seven-year stretch at that point. Did you feel that it was starting to wind down? I mean, there would be a, one more record after this, but, but it, did it start to kind of have that sense that this was maybe not going to be forever at the moment? I thought we were just getting restarted uh, when we did Stereo Rodeo, and I felt like there was a lot that we had to learn to pull off some of those grooves and and sort of re-envision it. And I was like all in to that this is the new thing. And then, you know, every two to three years, we're going to put out a new record that's going to be even better. And, and probably, you know, I thought we were going to go somewhere pretty amazing, but it never happened. Which, again, you know, just considering the the songs on the record, it's a, it's a really good record. And it was, I think some people were calling it at the time, like, oh, it's a return to their roots again no pun intended um which is always sort of a tricky thing to throw at someone because a band is trying to take it one way further and you've got uh, critics or whoever saying oh look here they are they're not sounding like the last record they're starting to sound like themselves or whatever that means i think maybe it was you know honest you know if it's if it's bullshit i, I kind of you know get mad and say you know like why can't somebody be smarter but um <laughs> but, uh, if, if, if you know i, I kind of felt like you know welcome welcome my party got slammed for being too commercial and i think we were trying too much to to get a hit single on that record and i think maybe it threw some people off um i remember because it, it kind of lined up with my own feelings about that whole experience that i i was trying to trying to make like a moodier more intimate record and all of a sudden just your little comments here and there and, and different things we were trying out that people wanted to try out it just seemed like everybody had it on their mind like let's get another hit single you know mm -hmm. 
And it doesn't really work that way, especially for rusted root. And I, I think I think I went along with it because I didn't know. And I think other people were trying it out because they didn't know. And I, I, I think for rusted root, it just does not work. <laughs> you know, you can try you can try to get a radio hit, and it's the, the exact wrong thing to get a radio hit for rusted root. Like the way you do it with rusted root is you you don't think about it at all. And you just keep going until something feels so emotionally joyous or emotionally whatever that is undeniable, like Send Me On My Way. You know, we, I wasn't trying to write a hit single on Send Me On My Way. Well, for what it's worth, uh, I love Welcome to My Party. For, it, without sure. context, with any context, it's one of my favorite songs, maybe of all time. I absolutely love it. That's a great song. <laughs> That's a great song. So that does bring us back into the present day. So, so you've said you're working on the record. I, you might have thrown out some timelines before, and again, I know that's tricky. But, but do you have an, uh, a hopeful ETA of of when the uprooted uh, record is going to come? Well, absolutely, for sure. In the next three months, we're going to start dropping singles for the next record. And what I hope to do is drop two a month for a little while, and and then put the album out. Awesome, man. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I really, I cannot wait to that. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for talking to me today, taking the time, and uh, and heading down memory lane. Yeah, yeah, man. And uh, keep an eye out on my website, michaelglebicki.com, uh, for the new material and maybe get some free music to the fans there. Absolutely. Will do. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Take care, man. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Big thanks, Michael Glebicki, Rusted Root, 25th anniversary of When I Woke, 10th anniversary of Stereo Rodeo, and looking forward to the new music by Uprooted as well. And that does it for this edition, too. Uh, before you get out of here, uh, please, please, please hit that subscribe button and keep up with the series. If you're not already a subscriber, you can do so. Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts from, Hit that subscribe button and keep up with us. You can also find bonus episodes at WFPK.org, which is where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. You get an hour's worth of uh, new song premieres and music news, anniversary spins, and clips from these interviews as well. Consequenceofsound.net has your music and film news. You can also find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network.